Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week I explore the top stories making waves in the news and some that are just plain interesting. I'll connect you with the journalists and the people who know the story and bring you news without the noise so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of the Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the Weekend Edition, I'll be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. In health news... After more than two years of the pandemic, we're seeing that COVID is making the flu and other common viruses act in unfamiliar ways. Behavioral changes like stay-at-home orders, masking, and social distancing could be responsible for viral shifts. For instance, at Yale New Haven Children's Hospital, children are being admitted with a range of seven different respiratory viruses, many of which are out of season and seem to be more virulent. The measures we took to limit exposure to coronavirus also limited our exposure to other viruses. That's why even common colds seem more virulent and harder to get rid of. For more on how everything is out of whack, we'll speak to Francis Steed Sellers, senior writer at the Washington Post. One of the reasons that I started looking was that I had a lousy cold this year, one that wouldn't go away and seemed worse, although who knows, we haven't had colds for such a long time. Maybe we've just, you know, our memories are bad. And I also knew of a child, a young child who developed RSE at a funny time, but this is a, a, a respiratory virus, rather late in the year in May. So I did start making calls. And one of the most interesting ones I started out with was to the Yale New Haven Children's Hospital, where a pediatrician there told me they had admitted children with seven different right. respiratory viruses in a very short period of time at the end of May. And he said to me, this is a man called Tom Murray said to me, you know, we wouldn't normally see that in winter. It would be unusual in winter and kind of unheard of in May or June. So right now where researchers are at with this is they're trying to figure out what happened. So how did all these stay at home orders, all this masking, social distancing, how did it change everything? And for me, I avoided COVID for two and a half years. It finally caught up with me, but uh, it kicked my butt and I just attributed it to not being sick for so long. Well, I don't know about that with COVID, but certainly when you generally have exposure to viruses, your immune system keeps getting rebooted. It's a little bit like a memory test. So when you haven't had a virus for a long time, it can come and get you at a funny time of the year because there are a lot of people out there who don't have, who haven't been exposed. So that's why these viruses are moving out of season. We may find out, and I think this is just fascinating, that once a lot of people have had COVID, that it becomes a seasonal virus again, because there won't be, at the moment it's, it's around during the summer, or because there are so many people still who haven't had it and still are vulnerable to it. So at the moment, scientists are really working out how this is all going to fall into shape. And it may take not just months, but years. And I have to say, 
there's sort of a little bit of a silver lining for scientists in all of this. And I keep trying to look at silver linings in, in the horrors that the country has been through and the world has been through. And that is that this process of us removing ourselves from each other and from circulation has allowed them to study how those behaviors had an impact and how viruses interact with one another. There's a process known as innate immunity, which happens when one virus infects the cells in your nasal passengers, and it actually gives you a little bit of protection, short-term protection, but real protection against another virus. So scientists, much as they wish this had never happened, can also see that they will learn from it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, COVID is kind of pushing around, flexing its muscle around other viruses. And, um, you know, what are we seeing, especially when it comes to younger children? There was a crazy stat that I saw in your story that basically said, normally a child younger than five has, on average, a virus in his or her nose 26 out of 50 weeks of the year. So basically half right. of the time they have some virus circulating around. So We have all seen those, those snotty noses, right? right? We all know that, the toddler experience. So what does this do to our youngest kids that you know went through the pandemic without being exposed to that many viruses? So again, there could be a silver lining here. One of the big risks for asthma later in life is to have severe infections with the rhinovirus, or more commonly RSV, early in those years. And that's associated, those severe infections... It's associated with the kind of lung problems later on that we all know about, people with asthma and things like that. Those kids didn't get it. Their, their lungs developed without having that infection. And we're going to learn whether they escape asthma later on. Those kids, that cohort of kids who for two years were really exposed to very few viruses are going to be extremely interesting to study later on and figure out what we learn about the connections between development and infections. Yeah, I mean, that definitely uh, proves the point when we talk about how COVID is going to be with us for a lot longer than we expected, right? I mean, even as yeah. cases start uh, calming down and all that, the after effects of all of it, you know, we've been talking a lot about the social after effects of, you know, schooling and disruptions there. But this is the other side, the health side of things, how this mm. pause, these two and a half year mm. pause is really impacting us in the long term. Yeah. And I think actually one of the other things we're beginning to learn, which is very interesting, is you know, we have got such insights now into long COVID with a lot, lot more to learn. But I think people are now going to be looking more closely at the long-term effects of flu and other viruses, which really haven't been very well studied. And I heard from well-known author, John Barry, of, um, the author of the 1918 flu book, and he was talking about people talking for years after being infected with that flu of the impact on them. And I think this is an opportunity. It's a moment when we may learn about how viruses continue to have an impact on us. Francis Steed Sellers, senior writer at the Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. With all the changing economic news, some workers aren't feeling as powerful as they used to. The tight labor market and the great resignation led to a lot of employees demanding remote work and higher salaries. But as inflation continues and fears of a recession loom, people are starting to look for more security over flexibility. And companies are taking note as managers are getting bolder about office callbacks. It's not all bad news. There's still a lot of competition for talent in biotechnology, where candidates can often pick among several offers, and tech workers too still enjoy a lot of bargaining power, although tech stocks are not doing so well either. For more on how attitudes are changing, we'll speak to Callum Borchers, 
on-the-clock columnist at The Wall Street Journal. You know, inflation is already sort of, you know, weakening some of the punch of that raise you might have earned over the last couple of years. A lot of people's 401ks are down as we hit a bear market this week. And so when you sort of piece it all together, it's not that the sky is falling. The labor market is still strong by many metrics. And yet, I think some workers are, are kind of looking at the outlook for the coming months and not feeling as confident as they did at this time last year or, or even a few months ago. And it's beginning to change what they prioritize in their careers. And we're hearing about, uh, you know, other big players in the game. You know, Elon Musk was making headlines for saying, you know, he wants his executives back in the office at least 40 hours a week. And if you're not doing that, get out of here pretty much. Um, so companies are starting to sense that change and are starting to uh, take back a little bit of that power as well. Right. I mean, Musk is sort of the poster boy for that kind of hard line on get back to the office. I think more broadly, though, you do see employers getting a little bit bolder about calling their workers back. I heard that uh, from Owen Thomas, for example. He's the CEO of Boston Properties, one of the big commercial landlords in many major markets. And he told me that his tenants are calling workers back more often, that the the headcount goes up in his buildings every single week. Uh, In fact, if you look nationwide, Castle Systems is a company that tracks Building access card swipes is kind of a proxy for what the office population is. Well, it hit 44% last week, which may not sound like a huge number, but it's the highest it's been since the onset of the pandemic. So there is something going on there. And for people that are looking for a job right now, you know, they're still trying to make changes, whatever the case may be. You know, some of the career coaches and stuff that you spoke to said, well, maybe consider the business a little more thoroughly right now. Is it a business that popped up? because of the pandemic? Or are they much stronger in their position? And really, you know, that's kind of where you should be going towards, you know, something that could be, quote unquote, recession proof, possibly. Yeah, I mean, I think that a couple of uh, the career counselors I I spoke with had that basic advice. And we're already seeing that with certain companies that really boomed at a time when most people were kind of homebound, right? Peloton, Netflix, Carvana, these are all companies that have already laid off staff this year. Um, The common denominator being, hey, well, people have to work out at home now. Oh, people don't go to the dealership. They buy their car from their computer now. Oh, everybody is streaming now instead of going to the movie theater. That's all been true to some degree, but we are re-emerging into the world, many of us. And as things normalize, there are businesses that may have to downsize their staffs a little bit. And I think you do hear workers who are saying, you know, I just want to be a little bit more cautious. I spoke with a woman named Becca Smith, for example. She's she's a, a mom in Indiana who got laid off a couple of weeks ago from a, a, a technology startup. This was one of those companies that seemed to overshoot its growth a little bit. And she said, you know, after 10 months of the startup thing, I think I'm going to go for something more stable this time around, go for a more established company. And I'd even consider going to an office part time if that's what the boss commands. Callum Borchers, on the clock columnist at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Glad to be with you. Parents ready to discover a new educational and interactive podcast for kids? Join Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids where episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We learned how to recycle at the beach. That was great fun. Callie, what do you say? It was. And that time when we did the science experiments and Billy made raisins dance. so cool, Billy. He did. (laughs) Not to mention when a certain Elliot took up swimming classes with Lisa. That was me! (laughs) 
you can't catch me. I'm going to get you. All this fun and more in our Stories for Kids. Lingo Kids Stories for Kids is now available on StoryButton, the kid-friendly device for screenless podcast listening. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Finally for this week, what does a road trip look like in an all-electric vehicle? For one reporter, it was kind of a nightmare. The trip did cost less money for fuel, but more time was spent charging than sleeping. To be clear, this trip used public charging infrastructure on a trip from New Orleans to Chicago and back. Not all chargers were fast chargers, and not all of them are created equal. Charging speeds varied each time. For more on what happened on her four-day EV road trip, we'll speak to Rachel Wolf, Consumer Trends reporter of The Wall Street Journal. Yeah, it was, you know, to put it mildly, a road trip from hell. Um, (laughs) We... The headline of the story is we spent more time charging than we spent sleeping. I went with my friend Mac and, you know, wouldn't wouldn't do it again anytime soon. I think a lot of it was traveling through the South where public charging infrastructure is particularly lacking. And, you know, it's really exciting, all the planned investments and there's promise of things getting a lot better. But for now, we were stuck with some really slow chargers and not a whole lot of options, especially between New Orleans. And our first stop was in Nashville. Uh, We also drove back from Chicago because we had to return the rental car. And between Memphis and New Orleans was also pretty dicey. You know, if one charger was out of order, which thankfully they weren't, we really would have been even, even more screwed. Our 18 hours was you know, having things go about as well as they could have, uh, aside from the severe weather we experienced. But, um, you know, I, you mean, know, it's, I think, and, yeah. And the weather and all that stuff, I mean, those are all things you're going to experience on a road trip. But the, the particulars are having to deal with not stopping at a ready, readily available gas station and filling up and going in a matter of minutes, right? Having to stay there and charge on uh, these chargers that sometimes aren't fast chargers. So let's talk a little bit about yeah. the parameters of everything. As I mentioned, you guys were in a Kia EV6. It was a 2,000 mile road trip. You used the Plug Share app, which has kind of a map of public chargers. Tell us how that worked out. Right. So the PlugShare app tells you every place that you could possibly charge, uh, you know, in the whole country. Um, and we sorted by fast chargers. Actually, they're a different color on the map. Uh, and so, you know, we 
understand as somebody who reports on electric cars, although I don't own one, the difference between a fast charger, which offers charging speeds uh, up to 350 kilowatts, which is super fast. Most most cars can't even accept that much power. But there's a big range, a bigger range than I knew going into the trip and all of my reporting. You know, I just knew that there were these three levels of chargers um, and I never really thought more about it because I had never charged a car myself. And I think that that would be a pretty, you know, it's a pretty typical thing to expect. A fast charger is fast. Right. Um, we learned that that is not necessarily the case. There is this huge range, and fast chargers start at about 24 kilowatts, which the difference between 24 and 350 uh, is huge. It's sure. the difference of spending three hours uh, walking downtown to Meridian, Mississippi, because we don't want to stay at the Kia dealership where our car is plugged in. You know, that charger had trouble even cracking 20 kilowatts, um, super, super slow. Um, We were also, we ended up needing to use a level two charger at one point because we just didn't make it to our next fast charger. And where the fast Where the true fast chargers are, they're great. Um, We had some really positive charging experiences as well, which I wrote about in the piece, you know, where it works, it really does work. And we didn't mind the half-hour stops. You know, we would grab lunch, stretch our legs. That wasn't the issue. You know, stopping for half an hour really isn't going to be what changes your whole day. If if you're planning a trip that's seven hours and it takes eight, whatever, if you're planning a trip that takes, that's supposed to be seven hours and it takes 15, uh, (laughs) which was what we experienced, you know, that's a little bit. So so some of these fast charging stations, they'll say, you know, you can get 80% charge in about 20 to 30 minutes. Uh, As you mentioned, a lot of these uh, along the way sometimes are these lower level two chargers. So that's like an eight hour charge, eight hours for a full charge. And you made mention in the article, right? So that's easy if you're staying somewhere overnight. That's uh, your overnight charge and you're totally cool. But you know, as totally. you keep going along the road, yeah, you're going to have to make these pit stops for some of them. And, you know, if it's not going to be that 30 minute charge, it's going to take three hours. And uh, you mentioned in the article, some of them took that long. That's when you start really pushing back the overall trip. Exactly. Um, and that's when you start really wondering uh, what you're going to do for three hours in a place that you did not expect to be stuck in. Um, and so, and you're carless. And so, you know, we ended up getting a really nice meal in Meridian, Mississippi, um, but we hadn't planned for it and had to walk the 30 minutes downtown because our car was charging. So, you know, the charging stop might not be where you want to hang out. You ran into a lot of people, obviously, along the way who were also charging. How did some of those conversations go? Because a lot of them overall still had pretty positive experiences, especially when you're seeing gas prices tick up. You know, they appreciated some of those things, but, you know, maybe they weren't on a 2,000-mile road trip like you were. But uh, at least fill us in on some of the conversations you were having with other electric vehicle owners. EV owner who has a Ford Mustang Mackie, and he travels a lot for work, and he drives his electric car all the time, um, and has had a super positive experience, and, you know, says that he feels a little bit smug with the gas prices up so much, but the Midwest, the charging infrastructure is a lot better than it is in the South, um, and he finds that he has more options. He still has to plan his routes really carefully. He was telling me that uh, maybe he wouldn't want his wife going on a long road trip with the car because, you know, he'd be worried about her having to plan uh, and, you know, not making it, and, 
um, but he's a strategy and it, it really works for him. You know, he has to put a little bit more thought into it, but he saves, he says that, he, you know, he saves thousands of dollars on gas. So it's awesome. So it's another woman who also really loves her electric car, but she was driving from her home uh, in St. Louis to Colorado for her daughter's wedding and had to be towed because she ran out of juice oh, on man. the highway twice. She had to be towed two different times. Um, wow. And you know that was a that was a few hours during the road trip too. Was having to be towed. And there was one moment where we thought we might have to be outside of Sykeston, Missouri. Thankfully, uh, we made it. The gas station on zero percent, or to the charging station on zero percent. The charging station was actually at a gas station, but um, you know you don't want to be the person who's who's stranded because you can't just. Right. You know, you could bring back a fuel tank, but you can't wheel a whole <laughs> a generator to your car. I love this story for a lot of different reasons, but it's kind of a, a story of a typical person. Let's say, hey, I wanted to rent an electric vehicle. Let's try this road trip out. Any per- normal person is going to pull out an app just like you did and say, let's tr- uh, map this trip along our charging stations. And, uh, you know, so in that sense, it's it's a very typical type of story. I know you received a lot of feedback for this story. A lot of people may be saying, why didn't you rent a Tesla? Why didn't you use the Tesla network? That's all well and good, but that's not really the point, right? I, I love the point of that this is our public infrastructure of these public right. charging stations that we have right now. And that's such an important thing when we're talking about putting money into this and totally really making, in the future. Yeah, exactly. So how do you respond to that? Yeah, I mean, we intentionally did not rent a Tesla um, because Tesla's, Tesla's can charge uh, with public charging infrastructure, but only Teslas can charge using Tesla chargers. And so uh, the Kia is more affordable for more consumers. Um, And, you know, it's one brand versus, you know, potentially like any, any and every brand of electric car. So while Teslas make up a big percentage of the electric car market right now, um, when we're thinking about the future of electrification, you know, it's not just one company. And so um, I didn't, I've never driven a Tesla. I, I don't have any experience. I have nothing against Tesla. Um, but uh, it was intentional that we didn't, that we didn't use a Tesla for this trip. Um, and, you know, probably, I believe the owners would say it would have been, would have been easier with one, but that was the point, you know, it wasn't. Yeah. So that we would have a bad time, it was to see, you know, can you do it? You know, cars, these cars are getting so much more popular. It's so exciting. But, you know, what would happen if you try to drive to Chicago? Nothing good. <laughs> Rachel Wolf, Consumer Trends Reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. That's it for this weekend. Be sure to check out The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive has been engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive Weekend Edition. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in LA, and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is 
to die for. To die for is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.